Yep. You don't care. Uh, no, when you've got a horrible attitude, you got to embrace it. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Adventures in Angular, episode 96. Today on our panel, we have Ward Bell. Hello. Lucas Rubelke. You mad, bro? <laughs> and John Papa. Hello. And I'm Joe Ames, your host, and today we have a very special guest, Dan Maline. I'm feeling special, Joe. Thanks. Good. Dan, <laughs> do you want... Special uh... Dan. Special Dan's with Right. Us. There's got to be somewhere between three and four listeners who may not know who you are. So is it possible you could take a minute and introduce yourself? Sure. Well, based on the junk mail I was telling you guys I just got, I'm actually switching careers. So I'm going to start a, you know, maybe a, a pet or dog walking company or something like that. But 60 minutes or less. Oh yeah. my gosh, dog walking in 60 minutes or less. I love it. <laughs> it totally works. Yeah, so uh, I live out in Arizona. I'm actually next door with Lucas. So I, we, get to, we get to have, I'm waving to you, Lucas. Can you see me? Yeah, you got to get on top of your roof, though, maybe. You're right. but, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm staring at you. <laughs> we do lunch from time to time, so it's cool. But, uh, yeah, I run a consulting company called Walling Consulting. We do a lot of work with various clients around the world as far as consulting goes and do a lot of training as well on a lot of different topics, JavaScript, Node, C Sharp, all kinds of good stuff. Awesome. You are also an incredibly featured speaker over at NGConf this year. You gave a total of three different presentations, right? Yeah, we did a few. Yeah, it was, it was fun. That was, a, that was a great conference. Yeah, yeah, so, it was really fun. So uh, let's uh, take a quick minute and like, just go over the stuff that you talked about and just like, talk about each of the three pieces that you did and what they were about and maybe give us the Cliff Notes version of them. Yeah, sure. So the... 20-minute version, which is always fun giving a 20-minute talk because you kind of sit there and stare. People don't realize it when they're down in the audience, but I think all of us do it. We have that nice timer going, and you're like, son of a, I got like five minutes left. I haven't even got through half of the talk, you know, but no, that's this time it was timed pretty well. But yeah, the first one was uh, TypeScript Angular 2 Secret Weapon, and the idea there was to introduce people to some really cool features of TypeScript that especially if you come from a JavaScript world, you may not have ever even dealt with, maybe ever, in your career. But 
cover things like interfaces, uh, generics, some of the type support and custom type support. What I call future proofing your app today, which is a pretty awesome way to, you know, take advantage of the future features in JavaScript, but leverage a lot of those today based on what, uh, we're seeing with like ES 2016 and all that fun stuff coming out. So yeah, that was that talk. And that was a lot of fun because I don't remember what there was. What was there about 1500 people, something like that there? So it was a yep. big, big room, actually. Great conference. Highly recommend it for those next year that might be interested, but. The Faraday was awesome. Uh, so ng-conf in the past has always had kind of two days of the, everybody's kind of in the big room and you, know, you have the 20 minute type talks that follow each other. And, uh, this year they did the same two days, but then in the middle they had this Faraday where there's a lot of different workshops and, um, you know, ask the experts rooms and all kinds of cool stuff. It was, it was great, I thought. So yeah, I did two there. I did a, a kind of TypeScript in 60-ish minutes and then uh, Angular 2 in 60-ish minutes. Uh, John actually was able to join me for that one. So that was a lot of fun and a uh, great turnout to both. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. You and John do a fair amount of work together, don't you? Well, I mean, he's muted right now probably. So he won't be able to hear me, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong mute. Yeah. We do a lot of workshops and stuff together. So we're, uh, we have a lot of fun. I don't know how long we've been doing it, John. What like at least ten years? Yeah, we've about seen ten years. Workshop several times a year, so yeah, it's it's been a while. So a lot of fun, and uh, we're we're pretty good now. At when I do a horrible joke, which I'm pretty good at, he's able to follow it up with even more horrible comedy. So we're kind of like the dual tag team horrible comedy group, but it's fun. So I mentioned three specific things, but there's actually a fourth thing. It wasn't necessarily, it was part of ng-conf, but not part of it proper. It was the pre-conference workshop day. You and John taught a workshop, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Geesh, it's all a blur. <laughs> yeah, so you know, we did a full-day workshop on Angular 2 there. And, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun because the audience we had, we had a couple people we knew, and that always helps a little bit to get questions going. And once questions got rolling, it was, like, very interactive the whole, pretty much the whole day. So, uh yeah, we enjoy that a lot more than when we're just talking to people for uh, eight hours, six hours, whatever it is, and you don't have any, hear any feedback. But we, we usually try to make it pretty interactive and fun. And we got some other stuff planned, actually, coming up a little later down the road here, workshop-wise. So it's mm-hmm. going to be fun. So you have did this Angular 1 in 60-ish minutes thing. Of course, it wasn't titled Angular 1 at the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you did that, and you, you kind of became, uh, I would assume, the most recognized third party for an introduction yeah, just get your feet wet in Angular. You've taught a lot of workshops and introductory type workshops in Angular 2 as well. You're a well-recognized expert in TypeScript, but this whole introductory getting into Angular 2, you did it in Angular 1 and now you've kind of established the same thing in Angular 2. So you've probably seen a lot of people coming around to Angular 2. And Lucas, I think you had a specific question. I don't remember exactly how you phrased it. Maybe you could uh, ask that. Well, I don't remember how I phrased it either. But Dan is, is quite the, the eloquent, eloquent master of, of laying things out. And I think that everybody would like to hear when he approaches Angular 2 specifically, you know, to somebody who's never seen it or heard it or heard of it or, you know, just completely new and uninitiated. What is generally the narrative arc that uh, you take, Dan, for kind of explaining this new version of Angular? And depending on the audience, how will you modify that narrative? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great, great question because you get all the people that, you know, a lot of them are kind of, they've been doing Angular 1, so they know those concepts. And then you have a lot of new people. Um, I just had a group, we did a four-day class last week, 
peak, our first one actually in Florida, I'd say maybe probably less than 50%, maybe 50% had actually done Angular 1 and all the rest of them were pretty new to everything. So let's, I'll, I'll kind of address the Angular 1 folks first and then Angular, you know, the never seen any of it. Maybe they're just doing, uh, you know, React and they're interested in hearing what, what's new and stuff like that. But yeah, so for the Angular 1 folks, I think everybody assumes that those of us that do speak on it and, you know, do these different code samples out there in GitHub and all that, that we just like, I don't know, waved a magic wand and went, poof, we got it. And for me, I mean, Lucas, for you, that might be how it is. But for me, that's not how it is. You know, I got to put a lot of time into it. So for those that are moving from Angular 1 to 2, it, it is a bit of a jump, but it's totally worth it, in my opinion. I always joke that had the Angular team stayed exactly with what they had with Angular 1, I guarantee in less than a year, people would be like, oh, that's such a caveman framework. Why didn't they move to the modern stuff? Like, look what all these other frameworks are doing. And, you know, and they, they kind of, in my opinion, had no choice but to start embracing, you know, the ES6 concepts and all this cool new stuff you can do with modules and things like that. So, so long story short, for those that are moving to Angular 2, don't let you know, the newness be like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I'm not going to do this. It's, it's too involved. And I think we've all felt that way. I felt that with Angular 1, very much so. But the good news is due to how nicely laid out the docs are, uh, if you go to angular.io, due to all the samples out there, like for instance, I have one called Angular 2-Barebones up on my GitHub site. There's a really simple starter one. It is pretty easy, I think, now to jump right in and be super productive. I think if you're starting from total scratch, and when I say total scratch, I mean you're trying to figure out System.js or Webpack or whatever it may be to you know get the modules loaded and all this fun stuff that you can do with Angular 2, that part, I think, can be actually very intimidating. But... Really, you don't need to start there, I don't think. I think your number one starting point is going to be, hey, I've done controllers before, and now we have these things called components. Are they identical? No. Do they have some similarities? Definitely. You know, we had views before and template URLs and things in Angular 1, and we still have those in Angular 2. We had data binding. We still have that. Is it different? Yeah, it's different how it works, but... You know, we always, John and I in our uh, workshop, little one-hour workshop we did, and and the big one, we were, you know, kept bringing up that, hey, there's like 43 directives, and I think Brad brought this up in his uh, keynote talk, that there's like 43 directives that we used to have to worry about in Angular 1 that are just gone in Angular 2 because there's just a better way to do it. It's way better, I think, for maintenance, consistency, you know, all that stuff as you build your app. So, the bottom line for me, if you know, if you go to Angular.io, uh, Deborah Karada did a real nice write-up. I think Ward isn't it in the cookbooks section or something like that, where I think there's a comparison between you know Angular One and Angular Two. That's right. There is, she did uh, write the cookbook uh, for. Uh, it's a nice chart of uh, here's what you know in A1. Here it is over here in A2. Yeah, and it, it's really good, I thought, because it's super quick to read. You know, you don't have to spend a lot of time, and you can jump right in and, and get some nice kind of parallels between the two. And, you know, going back to your question, at least on the Angular 1 people, uh, Lucas, for me, I learned the best when you say, okay, here's how you used to do it. Here's how it is now. Because syntax, eh, I get over syntax. Like everybody, and that's our job, 
syntax should not be a big deal, in my opinion. You know, a lot of us can do multiple languages and do all that fun stuff because it's just what we do for a living. What I think is important is the concepts. And once the concepts click and you understand how, okay, here's how we did in Angular 1, you know, here's how it now works in Angular 2, I actually think it's a pretty, well, I want to say pretty easy, but a much easier jump between the two. Now, if you get the people, I'm going to address the second group here, which I had last week when I was out in Florida for this uh, class we did. I'd say, I, I don't know, I'd have to count them up, but probably 50% of them, or maybe a little more, had never done Angular t- uh, 1 at all. So they're brand new to all this. A lot of them were server-side people that had done other languages on the server. In a way, I almost think it's sort of almost easier to pick up <laughs> because when you know Angular 1, it's almost like you know too much, you know, because you're so used to worrying about, you know, when do I have to call dollar apply and do I have to do controller as and all this fun stuff in Angular 1, whereas Angular 2, we don't, you know, need that anymore. It just kind of goes away. So for the folks that are brand new to Angular 2, you know, if you're looking to get into a, what I'm going to call true framework, Angular 1 was a framework, but Angular 2 is definitely what I'd argue is more a framework, you know, that's more consistent is probably the best way to put it. Then I think you'll actually find it's really easy to get started with as soon as you understand the role of components and how they all work. And so for me, it all really boils down to, you know, when we do classes and workshops, you know, what do you already know? And if you already know Angular 1, then I try to bring in the kind of analogies between the two, the parallels. If you don't know Angular 2 at all, then we can kind of just jump right into why are we doing this in the first place, and here's how Angular 2 can make your life hopefully happy. So anyway, that's kind of my little spiel there. Hopefully that answers some of your question. So what has been your experience when you're dealing with people that have a classical background, such as .NET or Java, and then you show them, you know, what was traditionally, you know, at least from their vantage point, been, you know, weird. Um, I hear that a lot of like, oh, JavaScript. Like, it looks like Java, but man, it does not behave like Java at all. No. <laughs> when, you, when you start to, you know, show them, you know, kind of Angular 2 with, with TypeScript, what is kind of traditionally or what generally, what is kind of their response to that versus, you know, if you were showing them like a jQuery air quote application? Yeah. No, great question. Um, so I can definitely address this because I just had this, like I said, last week come up. So in this class I was doing, the second chapter is in just an intro to TypeScript. And nobody in there had done TypeScript. Um, well, I mean, I think two of them had maybe played with it like barely, but really nobody had done it. And uh, a lot of these folks had done Java or .NET, so pretty much what you just asked about. That's kind of their background, either Java on the server or .NET on the server. And um, so we got through that chapter, and we did. We went to the TypeScript Lang org, and you know, we I like to play with the the playground that they have there because it's a great way to do live demos and have everybody do it with you and all that fun stuff. And we got done with the chapter, and we went on break right after that. And uh, the response was like, oh, my gosh, this is so much better than what I thought we had to do. You know, because a lot of these folks had not done – some of them had, because they, there were some Angular 1 folks, as I mentioned. But, you know, a lot of them had not done much with JavaScript, per se, you know, other than maybe copying and pasting some function from something they found on the Internet, which, you know, I guess that means you know JavaScript. But so with – TypeScript being in the mix, or even if you just went with ES6, you know, even if you didn't want all the cool stuff TypeScript has, the structure that ES6 and TypeScript can give you if you want to take advantage of it 
is actually pretty awesome. And the response was when we got done was, wow, this, like I said, this is amazing. Like I, I actually want to do this. And so I think if you're coming from a background where you're used to classes, you know, you're used to properties and methods and things like that in your classes, then what I love about TypeScript is it doesn't force you down either road. You know, if you're a functional programmer, it'll support that. If you're uh, want to jump into the new class support and do all that, it supports that great. And so you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. And, you know, for this crowd, a lot of them did have that kind of classical object-oriented background. So going with classes, which is obviously what Angular 2 does, if you're using TypeScript or ES6, that's pretty much right up the rally. And so that was an easy sell, I guess you could say, to that crowd. And so uh, the other thing I would add is, you know, when you throw into the mix that TypeScript supports interfaces and generics and types and all this other uh, feedback you can get from the when you transpile from TypeScript to, say, ES5, that was also very compelling to this group because they're used to having a compiler that, you know, gives them instant feedback when they screw up. And I use one of John's quotes. I'll have to summarize it here. But uh, basically it was something along the lines in, in my uh, my ng-conf talk. I mentioned a quick little quote he had. And it, it basically it tells you when you screwed up, <laughs> something like that. But that's really a cool thing that I think people underestimate when they haven't worked with a language that has a compiler. I hear a lot of people say, oh, I don't need that. You know, I, I don't need this feature of a compiled language. Like, I can just do it with JavaScript. And, yeah, you can. I mean, I've done it for years and years, and you guys all have, and probably everybody listening has. But I'll tell you, getting on, especially on large-scale enterprise apps, when you get the ability to get instant feedback on when you screwed up, how you pass something, or how you defined a variable, or, you know, whatever it may be, that's... It's pretty compelling once you get into some of these bigger enterprises. And, and this company was a bigger kind of enterprise development shop. You know, and some of those things you're pointing out, Dan, you wouldn't even find those kind of issues until you went live in production. So I think that's one of the big advantages there of TypeScript. For sure. A particular friend who might be on this call right now, I'll just leave it as they ran some code through the, the TypeScript compiler Apparently, the code already had a lot of unit tests and things, and they were able to catch issues right off the bat that just wouldn't have been caught otherwise, to kind of back up what John was just saying. Oh, that's interesting. So That could have been any of us. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, was it me? I, yeah. I don't remember, but it might have been. <laughs> so what if I happen to not really like, I, I'm a JavaScript developer. I don't like types. I don't like TypeScript. First question is, why is my opinion wrong, and what do I do about it? <laughs> I don't know if you're setting me up, Joe. Or... <laughs> no, I. No, like Except seriously, I know like if you, you are, I don't think you are. Right? No, no seriously, it's, you're it's a another... dev, and uh, you're not really a big fan of of TypeScript. What do you do about yeah. that? Yeah, and there's plenty of people out there. Now, this particular company I was at at last week, they were all fine with it. But I did a user group talk. There's a new meetup here in my area in Phoenix. In fact, Lucas, I think you're talking soon, if I remember right at it. And uh, we had a pretty good turnout, and I did have several people come up and say, you know, I just can't buy into the TypeScript thing. I don't see why I need it. And I really do think it goes back to sometimes they totally know exactly what they need about their projects. And what I mean by that is they know what they know, and they, they know about the options, and they've actually taken the time to research. And in that case, I'd say... Go with whatever is going to work for your team. Because I'm not one of those that says, oh, if you don't do it this way, it's wrong. You know, I, I hate those religious battles we get into. Um, yeah, John, in your style guide. 
wasn't even on the call yet when we were talking about that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, when it comes to choosing, you know, am I going to go with ES5, ES6, or TypeScript? I have to admit, I'm not a big fan of how ES5 looks with Angular 2. It works. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying me personally, I don't really like it. It feels too much boilerplate code to me because I've seen a bunch of stuff out there with ES5 and Angular 2. And it works. You can do it. So if someone listening is like, hey, I'm sticking with ES5. I don't care what these guys tell me. This is what I do. Then I'd say, great, go for it. You can still do it. It's not my favorite approach, but you know, you can do it. You're not saying it's bad, just that it's the worst thing ever. Well, sort of, yeah. <laughs> so I think what he's trying to say, it's not half bad, it's all bad. It's all bad. Well, no, it's actually not that bad if you're an ES5 person. But yes, it is. I'm, I'm an ES5 person. It's horrid. It's absolutely Well, horrid. once you've tasted the, uh, the fruit of ES6, you know, once you're into ES6, man, it's like there's no going back, I don't think. Because And thank you folks. This is Dan Walling, the nicest man on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember I think Joe's intro intro said that, but I think it was nicest man staring at you at Subway or something like that. Uh, on the subway. Staring <laughs> oh, at Oh on the subway. Staring <laughs> at you on the subway. Yep. No, I like intro. at Subway. I can see Dan now with plastic <laughs> gloves on his hands. <laughs> Would you like everything on that? That's right. That's right. So anyway, I'm not a big fan of the ES5 route. You know, I won't lie to you. I just think it doesn't look as structured and as kind of pretty, I guess you could say. Uh, I don't want to maintain it is my bottom line. We, now, well, if you know what I think is interesting about that whole thing is that the reason to do Angular 2 in TypeScript and ES6 is not so much that, hey, the coding is better, right? It's because, like, oh, you know, all you got the, the all the things about ES6 or the, about TypeScript that people will say are advantages, uh, fat arrows and modules and types that catch things. The fact is that it just without TypeScript and ES6, it really stinks to do Angular 2, right? So to do them, it just you do less stuff, you do less work. There's less ceremony. There's less things. You're not saying, oh, my ES5 code is fine. It's just you're jumping through so many hoops to do Angular 2 and ES5. And they take away the hoops. The fact that then you have the option to start using types and start using fat arrows and you have to be using, at this point, modules, right? Then you might start realizing the benefits of all those niceties. But yep. they actually, it's, it's sort of weird. It's rather, it's not like, hey, TypeScript and ES6 are great. So let's do it with TypeScript and ES6 and, and hopefully you'll go there and say, yeah, this is actually, that's actually really cool. So I'm going to do it in TypeScript and ES6. What they kind of did, and it wasn't on purpose, it was just the way that things fell out, is they just made it really suck in ES5. So you're like, ah, I'm trying to do an ES5 and it sucks. So I'm just going to have to do it in TypeScript and ES6. And then, then you might, you might get in there and say, oh, there's lots of other things in here I could benefit from as well. Yeah, and you know, there's one particular guy who is out there that's pretty well known, and he just loves the ES5 with Angular 2, and that's why I say, you know, more power to you. If that's if that's your thing and that's what you want to do, stick with what you're good at, but I'm telling you, you're missing out if you don't make the jump to ES6, and if you're going to make the jump to ES6, you might as well just jump right to TypeScript, yep. in my opinion, because jumping from ES5 to ES6 is a pretty good jump. You know, you're, number one, you're going to be using a transpiler, probably Babel. And then if you're going to do that anyway, then in my opinion, 
you might as well get these benefits that TypeScript offers that we can talk about, you know, as well. I've already mentioned a few of them, interfaces, generics, you know, the type, basic types, uh, things like that. So for me, we've, I, I've told this story, like, I think even on here before, but what the selling point for me years ago was, was, uh, this group at Intel who I came in for kind of some architecture stuff and, uh, about almost three years ago now, they decided to go TypeScript with Angular one. And, uh, that turned out to be like, the you know if you care about maintenance and you care about reuse and you care about that some team members leave and sometimes we have contractors and, and you know things like that then structure matters having consistency matters you know across your code bases having led several teams over my career over the years uh it's just i've always been a little bit of a i don't want to say dictator but <laughs> a little bit picky on how team members write code that's which is why you know we need style guides and stuff like that for our our teams uh, in my opinion so getting back to your question though um yes you do have a lot of choices es5 es6 typescript definitely i would start at a minimum with es6 at a minimum but given that angular 2 and several other frameworks now out there are starting to be written in typescript and angular 2 is written in typescript given all the benefits it offers Given that it'll give you what ES6 gives you, at least the core concepts you need for Angular 2 development, it's a no-brainer, in my opinion, to say, hey, I want something that, as John mentioned earlier, is going to let me catch errors up front. And once you get into that kind of technique or way of developing for your team, even if you're a team of one, I think it's super useful because you catch all these errors. Well, I think it's interesting that, you know, when we talk about TypeScript, we talk a lot about, you know, error catching and I think IDE tooling. And I think that's super awesome. And I appreciate it, especially when you can type something and then it auto imports your module is pretty neat. Um, but I think another thing that is really important, I don't hear a lot of people talking about is when you are working on an application with more than one person, TypeScript makes your code a lot more descriptive. Like it's really easy to convey intent when you say, this property is of this object. And so for me, I think my favorite thing about TypeScript is actually interfaces and being able to, to program to interfaces and not concrete implementation of things. That opens up the door for all kinds of things, especially when you start to see like different uh, render targets. So with like Angular Universal, these different things, the pattern is to abstract those out and then just basically program to an interface and then, you know, at one time, you know, pick the appropriate, you know, concrete instantiation that you're going to use. And so, like, up front, there's a huge benefit of, like, catching stuff at it basically compile time. But I think over the long term that you cannot overstate the importance of writing really descriptive code that people can, you know, understand you're conveying intent right up front. Totally agree. I think one of the things you brought up, Lucas, is important, too, and I'll change what you said is slightly different from my angle, and that's not that the interface makes it important, but the fact that you've got a type, in some cases, can be super valuable. And here's an, here's an example of that. In Angular 1, when we wanted to tell what types were the things we were injecting, we had to use a stringed array, uh, an array of strings, basically, right, to tell it, hey, these are the types, go look them up. And what happens if you misspell that? Who catches that? You know, that was a big mess that we had to deal with with Angular 1 with the uh, dependency injection because uh, ESX solves a lot of this with uh, TypeScript, but in ES5 we had to do these strings. And in TypeScript with Angular 2, we just tell it, hey, that's of type data service or HTTP. 
and it figures these things out for us. So we have less opportunity to make these big kind of screw-ups that we had with TypeScript, and it's super much more readable. So I totally agree with you there. I think the biggest one, and I mentioned this in the uh, one of the talks I did at ng-conf, was you know, how many times have you got data back from uh, Promise? And you're like, huh, I wonder what I'm getting back. You know, maybe you know the API really well, but even when I know the API, I always forget, you know, the property names and things like that. And so by, you know, in Angular 2, it's an observable typically we're getting back. But whether it's a promise or an observable or whatever it may be, even just a regular function call that's synchronous, the ability to say, here's exactly what you're getting back. And then, yeah, you get the tooling support and all that is just a huge deal. Or when I'm passing data into a function, especially uh, the example I always give is a settings object. I, I remember back in the day with like jQuery plugins, you know, you had to make sure that when you passed in your object literal for your settings to initialize the plugin when you called it, um, that you, you know, had the proper properties. You didn't have any typos in them and things like that. And with interfaces, as you mentioned, Lucas, you know, you get all that. And so if I have a typo in one of the properties, depending on your editor, if you have one of the, the editors that supports this well, then you're going to get, you know, a red squiggly or maybe something over to the right or left of the code that tells you right away, hey, you screwed this up. And that's just, I can't even say how important that is. If, if you're on a small project, it probably doesn't matter as much. But having been on many projects over my, you know, career where many thousands, even back in the nineties, we had some apps that were many, many thousands of lines of JavaScript. Um, I always joke, if you think IE6 was bad, you should have tried programming against IE3. I had to do that. A lot of fun, but it really locks things down, not in a restricting way, in more of a, Hey, I'm going to protect you way. And so, yeah, pretty awesome. We are totally sold on TypeScript, and we've been preaching it, and it's good to hear you confirming uh, our perception. But swinging over to Angular 2 itself, what are the things that you find people uh, who are hearing about it for the first time? Well, you know, either they have some misconceptions about it, that would be interesting, and also what surprises them, what do you have to teach them that to give them that aha moment? What are the big ahas? Probably the first big aha is, especially if they've done Angular 1, is the new data binding syntax, you know, with the square brackets for properties or the parentheses for events and things, because people go, you know, aha, I used to have to write a custom directive for that or use an Angular directive for that. Now I just do it myself. So my maintenance story is better. I'm more consistent. Everything's good, you know, about that. I always like to say now that I wish they would have thought of this five years ago where I could just bind directly to a raw DOM property or a raw DOM event because that's pretty compelling once you get what it's doing, you know? So that's one of the aha moments like last week, everybody's like, Oh, that's actually really like super cool. Once they get over the syntax, <laughs> right? You got to get over the syntax. But once you get over that kind of hump, you start to realize that, wow, this is really powerful because I don't have to write as much custom code to do what I used to have to do. You know, as an example, I think probably the second biggest, which, you know, I usually don't get into this right away because it gets a little more complex, is the whole module concept. That's just, like, huge because, you know, if you come from, uh, Lucas, you asked about, you know, some of the classical object-oriented developers, and, you know, they're all used to having some type of a naming container, and, you know, things don't link in the global scope in those worlds unless you're just meant to do it for some reason. And uh, anyway, I won't go into the details there, but... You know, with JavaScript, on the other hand, we've always had to do, you know, ifies or some other 
wrapper function of some type or another that allowed us to make sure that data was pulled out of the global scope. And so another aha moment, Ward, going back to your question, I think, is once people understand how Angular 2 is based on the concept of you know, ES6, ES2015, whatever you want to call it, modules, there's another aha, this is really cool, because every file ultimately becomes its own module, which basically means things in that file, variables, functions, whatever it may be, classes, they don't leak in the global scope, and that file's self-responsible. And if you haven't done it, this is a huge, huge aha moment. You know, in the past, I've always had to rely on Ward or Lucas or John or Joe, whatever you guys, you know, you loaded the script in the wrong order in the page. And all of a sudden, you know, my code's not working because I thought your script was loaded and you thought my script was loaded. And anyway, you know, everybody's done this. With the aha moment with uh, ES6 modules and TypeScript, of course, supports this is the ability to say, hey, this file is totally in charge of itself. doesn't rely on this or this or this. It's going to import exactly what it needs right at the top of the file. So you're going to be very clear on what this file is using. And then once those things are imported, you can, of course, then you know use those, however you may be. Maybe it's dependency injection in Angular 2, or maybe you're newing it up yourself, if it's some custom object potentially, I suppose. So that'd be another aha moment I think people have uh, when they move. And this is a great reason that you want to jump into modules and ES6 and TypeScript because if you've ever dealt with, you know, either A, the global scope problem, and if you haven't, then you probably haven't written much JavaScript because everybody's hit that, or B, just the sheer size of an application and making sure that all the scripts are in the right order and, you know, this script relies on this script, which relies on this script, and it gets kind of painful in large apps. And that's why we had like required JS, you know, back in the day, and some people still use it. I was never a huge fan, but, you know, it was one way of dealing with that problem. Whereas now it's just built into the core of ES6. And so I think that's another big aha moment with Angular 2 is the self-responsibility, I guess is the word I'll use, of these modules. So that's kind of two things. I think the data binds like, ah, that's really cool. And I think the modules... And I can keep going, Ward, but I'll let you chime with a follow-up. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you too, Dan. Let's look from the other angle. What parts of Angular two do you feel like people shouldn't focus on right away? Are there areas that are kind of edge cases, or you know, because you look at the surface area and you say, yeah, you should definitely look at components and modules and data binding. Yep. But what parts of Angular two should people push aside for the short term when they're starting to learn it? As of today, there's a few things that are still being worked on. <laughs> Today being May, whatever it is, what are we, 17th or something like that today? 18th? 17th, I think. So one of the things that I think is not your first thing to dive into is something called providers, uh, as an example. Um, this is how under the covers dependency injection works with Angular 2. It's way more flexible than with Angular 1. I remember uh, Ward and I we're having a discussion. We were at a different conference and we were outside in uh, Vegas. And uh, as we were talking, we were, he was actually, cause he had done more at the time that with these things called providers than I had. And he was telling me about all these things you could do. And it was a great discussion, but I'm like, man, this is getting pretty deep. You know, now that I've had more time to dive in, I get it and I get how it works. But anyway, that'd be one thing. You don't need to worry about that up front. You know, some of the stuff that, as of the time we're recording, that's going to be ready. It looks like by the time it's, you know, soon is like the, the new version of the router. 
But, you know, you really, that's not the first thing you should focus on. You should get a little, just load a root component and get a template and start playing around with just one component, one template, and start doing some data binding with that and get the hang of that first. Then maybe you say, okay, now I want to load a child component into that root component. And then you start to add another TypeScript file and template and start doing some data binding there. But I definitely wouldn't jump into, you know, providers and routing and uh, even HTTP observables, you know, all that stuff up front. That comes after you know the basics. Get get good at the root component, get good at the data binding, the templates, and then start, you know, expanding your knowledge from there. In my, That's my opinion. I think I, I really agree. I think it, you can make a pretty amazing app without knowing any of the other things that you described there, except possibly having to get some data with HTTP. Yep. Yep. Which doesn't have to be a particularly complex um, task. You, there's a quick cover my eyes and go kind of approach to HTTP that gets you there, you know, cookbook approach, and then you're back in business. Yeah, I think uh, for me, I'll let you guys, I'm going to ask you guys a question. So, Ward, what was the first thing that you thought was the hardest when you learned Angular 2? We're reversing the interview panel here. Oh, Dude, because there were all kinds of things that were hard because there was no documentation at all at the time. Okay, forgetting that, just general concepts that are available today. Well, I think that the thing that I stumbled on, which you must see over and over again, is having to repeat myself. I have to, like, especially with directives that are used within my component. And so I have to first import it to get the symbol, and then I have to remember to put the directives property on there and list it there, or the provider, you know, the provider's thing that you put there, and then I have to, you know, those are things that are easy to overlook, and then you're staring at the screen and wondering why nothing's happening. Those are, when you first start, I I hit that. Uh, Lucas, you got a favorite that you struggle with initially? So I've found generally when I'm just talking about Angular 2 to someone who's new, I'm walking them through building just a really simple kind of website. So just to start with a simple root component, then you build out a couple child components, you stack them in there, and then you show them how to split those out with the component router. And it's gotten a lot better, I will say that, but I think the first moment that I had where I wanted to like, throw a chair through a window yeah. was when I tried to do something non-trivial with uh, the component router. I think I was expecting kind of parity with UI router, and when I was... You know, so trying to set up child routes and then, you know, trying to do uh, a parallel named route, which at the time was impossible, that, you know, just made me want to jump off a bridge. <laughs> I, I could sympathize there. John, what's your one? I'll, I'll give you, I got one. You guys haven't hit on mine yet, but we'll get back to me in a sec. Well, one of mine is, uh, and I don't necessarily agree with this, so I think it's why there's friction for me, is when I see people trying to grab elements out of the UI inside of a component. They're actually grabbing them by ADs or by selectors and whatnot, trying to get handles on those components, sorry, those elements, and deal with those inside of a component uh, and going down the road. I feel like the code that you have to write to do that isn't necessarily clean, and nor is the concept behind why you would do that in the first place. So when we're mixing UI inside the component, I still feel like that's a little messy, although it's a little bit better than directives were, but that to me is still a pain, and I'm going to cheat and add a second one. And that's before I even get to Angular, I think it's really hard to teach somebody like you talked about from last week who isn't really a JavaScript expert, hasn't been in this world, how do I get Node installed? How do I use NPM? How do I yep. even get to the point where I can even start doing Angular? And yep. that's really painful. 
So last week, that's my base image that we always use. You know, they, they, in this case, it was an on-site class at a company, so they um, had to set up the machines, and luckily they were set up properly. But uh, I think like probably 90% maybe of the people had never once run an NPM install before. And that's just because they work in a different world. You know, they, they work kind of in a server world and that was the whole kind of point of this thing we did was to kind of bring them into, Hey, where are modern kind of web apps going? So yeah, I'm with you. I hadn't even thought of that one, but that's true. We all, those of us that do this a lot, I think we get stuck in our own little bubble and we forget that, you know, we all first time we ran NPM and install, I still remember too. And something didn't work. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what do I do? Like, I have no idea. So cool. Joe. You got a favorite that you stumbled on? I jump back in with another one because it's it, the other one that gets people is the change in the you know, complete change of the tool chain that they're used to. I mean, if you're a Visual Studio person and you think you're going to be coding Angular 2 and JavaScript and TypeScript in Visual Studio today, you're going, you're in for a rude awakening. And we're still trying to figure out something under 16 steps that make no sense to get there. So you're facing, and none of these things have to do with Angular 2. They are, all of them are about getting, embracing this new world of this kind of modular JavaScript TypeScript development. Yeah. And since you talked out of turn, Ward, you're officially banned moving on, but, uh, <laughs> um, John a little bit sold mine, uh, stole mine. The build chain was just the build for Angular 2 to get it running in a browser was like just crazy. And it's, Definitely change has gotten a lot better, but there's like four or five scripts. You get one of those scripts out of order or forget one of them. And you can actually, there's some that you don't necessarily need, depending on what browser you're in. That could be crazy. But since John took that one, I'm going to say pipes. <laughs> pipes are one of those like black holes because you'll do a pipe and you'll think it's a filter. If, if you come from Angular 1, you'll work with a pipe. You'll think it's a filter. You're going to try to do something that you would do with a filter like sort or filter. Yep. Or order by. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then that's it. You're going to be in a world of hurt. And it's not clear enough. I don't know that there's a way to make it clear, but it's just not obvious that like that's not the place to do this in Angular 2. Yeah. Because we did it there in Angular 1 because we didn't worry about performance in Angular 1. We care about yeah, performance I, in Angular 2. Let me circle back. John, is that is that something that's already, I know the style guide's brand new for Angular 2 because it's hard to be too detailed when it's not even officially released yet. But is there anything in there yet about how, you know, the role of pipes versus doing it in the component yet? No, not yet. I wanted to put in there, but Ward restrained me. Please don't ever use a pipe to create a custom loop through an array and a filter. But uh, <laughs> right. he told me not to put did, that in did there. I stop, did I stop you? Because <laughs> I would rather just say don't use pipes. <laughs> is this format in the, in the component? Well, okay. So you got the one use case, but I wouldn't, <laughs> uh, you know, aside from using it as a, as a formatter, I'm very reluctant to use pipes for any serious work. Well, would it, be, go ahead. Sorry. That, that's a good qualification, a formatter. Yes. Yeah. You see them a lot, or you see the, the advice in a lot of places of the documentation don't use pipes to do order by and filtering. But not everybody's going to see it, and the pipe that's itself, especially if you came from Angular 1, which is sort of funneling you down this road, and you'll, you'll implement a custom pipe, it'll be working, and you'll think everything's okay, and then you've introduced a horrid performance problem. On the flip side of that is, if you really know what you're doing, you can actually do that functionality in a performant way, in a filter, or sorry, in a pipe, 
if you like really understand change the change detection schema and how it works in Angular too, it's just a real, it's like one of those things that's so advanced you shouldn't do it. And so I know that there's people yeah. out there that are going to do it because they understand the ramifications. And then somebody who doesn't is going to come along and be like, I'm going to do it too, or I'm going to try to figure out, I'm going to make a change to this code that you already wrote, and it's going to be terrible. So. Joe, can you explain a little bit too about some of the reservations you have, like the whole stateful, non-stateful, pure, impure? I mean, let's not get deep in it, but it kind of gives people a synopsis of why there's a concern. Yeah, so and there's been a slight change in the last version that I'm not up to date, but I don't think that it's meaningfully changed this. Pipes, man, how, how to describe this in a simple way that works over a podcast. Like when you make a change to data, you go and you have an array of data and you add a new element to data, you have just changed or mutated that array. You don't have a new array, you have the same exact array. And that's normally that works out great. A pipe by default has no idea that you've made that change. Because um, think about if what you'd have, the code that you would have to write by hand to say, I've got a handle to an array. Has this array changed on me? Right? I can count the number of items, but what if somebody removed an item and then added a different item? So you can't just look at length. What if they changed one of the properties of one of the objects in that array, but didn't actually remove or add an item? There's so many things. And say that they resorted the array. The item that was the tenth item is now the second item, and everything else has been pushed down one. Or items two and ten just got swapped. Think of all the code that you would have to write to check that. That code all exists in Angular 1. It was super non-performant. So in Angular 2, in order to keep with a performance framework, they said, this is stupid. This is not the right way to do this. People should be doing this by hand in their components. So the pipe, there's no built-in filter by or order by that will do this because of that. Now, if you, instead of mutating that array, if whenever you make a change, you create a brand new array and copy all the data from the original array into the new one, which sounds like it's way horribly performant, but it actually is much less uh, of a performance problem than you would think. It actually can be done in a very performant manner. If you do that, then pipes are fine for that sort of thing they, because all they know is, oh, you're using a totally different array. And so then they'll rerun the bindings and redisplay the data. So there's this, if you, if you start understanding how to do immutable option uh, operations with arrays or using a library like Immutable.js or Richard Feldman's new uh, Immutable Library, you can do this sort of stuff but man, you've really got to know what you're doing. And that means that all the places where you might mutate that array, you've got to make sure you're producing a brand new array. And it's so easy for somebody to go in and say, oh, I need to make this one little change in this piece of data. I'll just mutate the array, not realizing that it's supposed to be an immutable array. And so it's just yeah. a black hole. Or yeah. you can just throw up your hands and, and flip the switch that says this, this pipe is impure, and it'll get called a lot. Oh, my gosh, uh, yeah. Yeah, a lot. Every mouse move. It could be every mouse move, depending on if you're yeah, looking at absolutely. mouse moves. Oh my absolutely. God. Yeah, to me, this is one of those you know complicated, these are one of those edge cases, like when Dan mentioned things you don't learn right away. This is one of those things in my mind, you don't learn how to do this right away, because quite frankly, I think you can use a function half the time to solve the same problem. Exactly. And Dan, when you teach Angular 2, do you teach um, like how to create custom pipes, or do you teach just the uh, you know use built-in formatting type pipes first? Yeah, so with this new thing we're doing, yeah, we do, but the, I wouldn't call them, definitely wouldn't call them a filter. They're a formatter. They're just taking data and literally dumping that, you know, adding a dollar sign, for instance, for the currency type thing, even though that's built in. I'm not a big fan. In fact, we pretty much explicitly cover that I don't like, for the reasons Joe's already outlined, pipes when you're doing anything more than just formatting the data output. 
Um, in my opinion, that's something that really needs to be moved either into the service layer, maybe the component, depends on who's doing it, where it's being done. But yeah, I, I like to keep all that stuff separate from the UI. And may uh, I just add one thing there, because I think it's really important, because we're making it sound like, oh, pipes are a disaster in Angular 2. They are no, no worse in, no, they are no. no worse in Angular 2 than they were in Angular 1. The exact same problems existed, maybe even worse in Angular 1 because the digest cycle kept whipping around so often. Yeah. And, and most of these problems really only apply to pipes or filters in Angular 1 over arrays or lists, mm-hmm. right? If you're using a yeah. scalar value, like a single value, like Dan said, you're taking a name or a, a currency, you're formatting it. It's super simple and it's great use case. And it's how I, people I, abuse it. And just to yeah, I view it as a, with what Ward said, digests yeah, are actually worse because they ran a minimum of twice every time they ran. Ah, yeah. Got to remember that. Yeah, and I, I always view I view pipes nowadays in Angular 2 as definitely part of the UI layer uh, because they are. You know, they're rendering in the UI, in the view. And so, you know, what should, be, what should you be doing in the UI? And I think the answer there is very little. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys. I agree it should be simple. So let so me let's uh, just let's just all agree pipes are for smoking. Oh, well, sure. Okay there. Sure. <laughs> so <laughs> on that note, Dan, what's your favorite feature of Angular 2? Like what do you what? just love using? Yeah, hold on. I got to circle back to what I struggle with first now that we got around the round robin here. Oh. So Wait, now, you struggle? You Dan Walling struggles for something? Uh, <laughs> I don't believe it. Uh, yeah, that's why I don't. My glass on my window, like Lucas was saying, I've already thrown the chair. So my wife just said, "Up, oh, put up some uh, tin foil," you know. So no, I'm just kidding. You never but, know. Uh, Dan, Dan never sweats. This is one of the things that's really weird about him. Yeah, uh, yeah, Ward, you know, you know me better than that, Ward. But uh, so my two things, um, System JS or or Webpack, whatever one you're using, I really struggled with understanding what. You know, mapping really meant how do you set your defaults because some of that became deprecated in different ones. And so that's part of the stuff. You know, just go get like the quick start from Angular IO or I have this bare bones one and there's a lot of them out there. Cedars. Just go get one of those and start working with it. Don't, don't jump into all that right away. And I think we've already kind of established that because that part, John and I, we always say we were on a call once just the six modules probably a year or so ago. I don't know how much time we wasted, but it was a lot. Just trying to get a really simple, I think we were injecting an engine into a car or something like that, wasn't it, John? Yeah, we were um, just trying to get ready for a keynote or something. We were both. Yeah, I think that's what it was. <laughs> we couldn't even get the stupid thing to work, you know. And now, if we knew what we knew now, it'd be like, oh, it's easy. You just do this, this, this. But it's always, I would say it's advanced, you know, until you know how to do it. Then it ceases to be advanced, Right. But my biggest thing probably was I definitely was used to promises. So I think my biggest struggle was uh, I did kind of jump right into the HTTP thing because I wanted real data, was jumping into uh, observables. And that's another one that people, if you're new to this, you just don't need to jump in right away. But they're su- once you get it, they're super cool, super powerful, but... They're one of those things that I definitely kind of went, what? Like, what do we need this for? We have promises. I'm fine, you know? Leave me alone. Get off my lawn. But that's something that is kind of a default now in Angular 2, and actually I like it now, now that I get what it's doing. So, you know, the whole RxJS and observables and all that stuff, that was definitely new to me. So I hadn't done a lot. I'd seen it, but I hadn't really done much with it, to be honest. So uh, my favorite feature. Uh, uh, Dan? Yeah. Let me interject really quick. 
just for those who may be suffering from some of the same struggles, Pluralsight has a really awesome course on System.js where you like dig super deep into it. So if, oh, you, nice. if you do really care about System.js and really want to understand it, there's a really great course on, on Pluralsight. I've, I watched it and it was really good. Cool. I might just go watch that too. <laughs> But uh, my favorite feature, you know, probably the simplicity of the data binding now, but I really like the flexibility of providers now. In Angular 1, you know, you can do dependency injection, but with Angular 2, it's just so cool to be able to, you know, say, hey, the app needs, you know, well, my example as of today, because this isn't, it's something I had to write custom as of today, was I needed a way to detect Anytime HTTP triggered a request or response. So, you know, you don't want to rewrite your whole code base to say, use this custom thing every time. So with providers and things, you have the flexibility to kind of say, hey, anytime you see this, substitute this or add this little custom little piece to it. Or, you know, you do all these really, really cool things. That's one of those things that we already talked about. Don't jump, jump into first, but it's really powerful. So that that's another one of my probably favorite features. So, Dan, you do quite a bit of uh, traveling and course writing and speaking, and uh, you're also on Dancing with the Stars, I think, uh, the upcoming season. Um, <laughs> that season told- must have already been canceled. Word <laughs> <laughs> got me thinking about it for some reason, about not seeing you sweat. But uh, with all your travels and all that, and all the different people you talk to, how do you see the adoption or the interest in Angular 2 going right now? You know, actually, um, it's kind of funny because for a while, I didn't see any interest. Uh, I'd say even six months ago, very little. I shouldn't say any. You always have your, your people in certain companies that they're kind of the, the jump ahead people, the bleeding edge people. Now it's crazy. Huge interest. We're, we're seeing one of two things. Uh, we're seeing companies. One is a big credit card company we've been doing a lot with. They uh, are kind of split. They're looking at React, but now that they've seen what Angular 2 is doing, they were they were kind of looking at React for Angular 1 and debating. So we did a ton of Angular 1 training with them and uh, consulting type stuff. But now uh, that they're seeing, and I'm kind of trying to push them into, here's why this is cool. With Angular 2, they're starting to go, oh, wow, this is actually really neat because a lot of these folks at this one company have a Java background. And so it's really attractive to them to have this really structured framework where the code is structured, the templates are clean, you know, everything's really structured, maintainable, reusable, consistent, you know, those type of things. Uh, so, yeah, we're seeing a, a pretty massive amount of uh, interest now over just the last... I'd say the last couple of months, actually. I don't think I had a single request for anything in Angular 2 two months ago. And now it's like, holy cow, we got to figure out our schedule here. <laughs> it's pretty busy. So it's good. It's good for good for that. So, yeah, it really depends. Those are the two things I'm hearing is either React or Angular 2 or React or Angular 2. Those are the two big ones I'm seeing people wanting to move into the, you know, kind of dynamic web apps where where we do push a lot down to the client. Cool. Uh, is it time to do picks, folks? I think so. John, why don't you start us off? Awesome. I'm actually prepared this time. So for picks, what I've got is two things. One is Dan and I are actually doing a workshop in Barcelona, Spain on July 31st. So I'm going to pick uh, Dan as my co-presenter and partner. We're doing an Angular 2 workshop in Barcelona, Spain. If you're interested in checking that out, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, my second pick is recently I decided to stop dealing with creating my own blog. 
and coding it myself and spending countless hours every month dealing with it going up and down and customizing it and writing it. And I finally just decided to pay somebody to host my blog so I could just do what I wanted to do, which is write posts. And it's probably the best decision I've made all year. Uh, so what I've done is johnpapa.net, my blog, is now running on Ghost Pro. It's a node-based uh, system to let you blog. And I decided to go with hosting as opposed to doing it myself, which I could have hosted it on Azure myself. But I decided to get a hosted model because they kind of handle any you know outages or other issues that you have. And they do patches and security updates. It's really great. Uh, and then on top of that, I run Cloudflare in front of it, which is uh, free. And Cloudflare, you can put this in front of anything you do. It's a great way to take advantage of caching or streamlining uh, your data. I've actually enabled it to only run SSL to my site now, so you can only hit my site through HTTPS. If you don't come with HTTPS, it actually redirects you to an HTTPS. Uh, so those are my picks. Uh, definitely, if you're looking into hosting a blog, check out Ghost and uh, Cloudflare. Awesome. Lucas, how about you? So I have two picks. Uh, the first one is the new style guide that just went up. So, John, I'm giving you a hug right now. Thanks. I appreciate it. I'm sure. Uh, I can feel the warmth that's over it. the interwebs. Yep. I'm telling you, a lot of people have been looking for this, and it is here Christmas in, what is it, May? Yes, May. My second pick is a book called Desk Bound, Standing Up in a Sitting World by one of my heroes, uh, Kelly Start, he is really big into uh, mobility and functional movements. And being that we spend hours and hours on a computer, it uh, really actually takes a huge toll on our bodies. I'm sitting you know, kind of in this broken position as we program. And so this entire book is about how to kind of restore mobility and kind of um, order in your body to to basically keep yourself from ending up in a wheelchair when you're 65 or 70. So great book. Um, Kelly Start is phenomenal. Very cool. Ward, how about you? I, I have something that is almost on the same order as acknowledging that I like Star Wars, which will, by the way, never happen. And that is that I, those that know me know I carry a big Windows phone with a giant crack in it. And I... Um, under the prodding of my wife, bought an iPhone. Now, I know that most of you are already sold on that. Well, this is uh, big news, Ward. This is just ridiculous news being the, the died Congratulations, the Ward. Microsoft. The intervention worked. <laughs> oh, Pigs are flying right now. They're just I, flying I, I, I'm just shocked to have to admit that it's better. <laughs> <laughs> I know you all know that, but you know, like I'm just coming out of the cave and I'm discovering that the, the you know, the, the electricity exists and I'm conceding that that might be better than cooking over an open flame, but you know, whatever. Warp just got off satellite phone, what, like a year ago or so. so <laughs> my shoot, he my had his like smart- bookcase size phone, you know, he'd carry around. <laughs> my get smart shoe phone. I'm finally retiring it. <laughs> In five years from now, he'll finally admit that unidirectional data flow might actually be a good thing. (laughs) Never happened, Lucas. (laughs) Okay, awesome. For my pick, I'm going to pick the StarCraft games that we played at NGConf. There's a video up on uh, YouTube that we'll link to in the show notes, or you can just Google NGConf StarCraft. We're trying to get to... I'm trying to get some time to edit the video because, like, the first, like, hour and a half is just dead time. You have to, like, skip forward. But it is the funniest thing. And even if you don't play StarCraft or know StarCraft, 
it's just hilarious to watch because it's people that are just average Joes, and there's a very professional caster who's just extremely clever, extremely funny. It's kind of like if you invited Louis C.K. to watch a couple of scrubs playing basketball, right? And he was sort of making some commentary on their basketball game. That's You can imagine that's what it's like. We had some very brave souls who volunteered, played some awesome games, but the commentary just makes the whole thing hilarious. Uh, Bernie Sanders jokes and all. So that's going to be my pick, is the StarCraft games that we played at EduConf, which you can watch when you want to watch something a little bit uh, funny. <laughs> uh, so last, Dan, how about you? I think my biggest pick lately, uh, well, I was going to do what John did about the Barcelona thing we're doing. We're super excited to head over there. But since he took that one, uh, Duet. I don't know if you guys have heard of, if you have iPads and you travel at all, which I do, there's a software out there called Duet. And I've always tried when I travel, you know, I have a, in fact, Ward has the same one. I have a, a monitor that's a USB 3, and it, it works for a dual monitor. But it got... A little bit of a hassle because uh, you have to be careful when you show it in the overhead bin, shove it in the overhead bins and stuff like that. So I tried all these other ones, but they're always over Wi-Fi and they had lags. Well, this one actually uses your uh, just direct connector into your uh, iPad, so it's wired, and you can see, you know, as a second screen or a third or whatever you have your screen right on there. It works with Windows or with Mac. And uh, I liked it so much that I actually convinced my wife to get me an early Father's Day present, which was uh, the new big iPad Pro, because I never wanted one. But now I do, because... Wait, let's, let's be honest. Did you ask her permission for that? I actually did. Uh, she, was, <laughs> she was with me, but there was a little bit of a motive. I, I sort of played off the fact that she wanted something else. <laughs> so, so I kind of got approval because they said, well, you know, you want this thing. How about, can I get this thing? But anyway, awesome software. I'm like super impressed with it. It's been rock solid and there's no delay at all. And it, now I have this perfect travel, you know, companion. I don't have to haul around a separate uh, thing. So there's mine. Awesome. Well, thanks uh, for ha- being on the show, Dan. It was awesome to have you on. Well, thanks for having me. You guys are always great to talk with. Good discussions. And uh, for those who haven't uh, already keyed on the, in on this, go watch Dan's talk from ngconf it was a great talk oh thank you that was fun it was a great conference highly recommend it if you haven't been you need to go next year great conference all right and uh that'll be it we'll be back next week thanks everybody bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more do you want to have conversations with the adventures in angular crew and their guests do you want to support the show now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today.